Welcome to The Bittersweet Life, a show for expats, former expats, travelers, and dreamers. It's a show about letting go of the rope, so to speak, and what happens when you do. If you're new to the show, I encourage you to go back to the beginning and join us for the whole journey. There are a lot of great episodes in the past that you just shouldn't miss. This episode of The Bittersweet Life is brought to you by Stackery. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the U.S. With Stackery.com, you can shop at any U.S. retailer and ship anywhere at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your packages, and a tax-free U.S. address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, save 10% off your first shipment by using the coupon MANJA. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Katie. Well, today, following our Gems episode of last week, we are going to read a listener email and going to give some more tips about traveling to Italy and to Rome specifically this week but with a different slant. Last week was sort of, uh, you know, you have time to wander around Rome. Here's all the hidden great stuff. This one's gonna be a little different and here's how. This is an email from Lindsay. Hi ladies, I'm really enjoying your podcast. I guess I live under a rock because I didn't know you guys existed. Well, thank God she does now. (laughs) Reminder, tell your friends about the show. I began at the beginning and listen while I work. I'm a pastry chef and I work alone. So it's nice to hear interesting chit chat while I bake. Your podcast has inspired me to plan a trip to Italy. My husband and I have two kids, ages 7 and 10. Any thoughts you could share on planning 7 to 10 days? I'm not one for touristy spots, although I did visit Italy as a teenager and the Colosseum in Pompeii really wowed me. Aside from that, I would love to do different things with my kids that are perhaps not what all the other tourists do. I'd love to do a cave tour. I've read that there are various spots in Italy to do stuff like that. Thanks again for the great show, Lindsay. P.S. Perhaps you've already done an episode about my question, and if so, let me know and I'll check it out. Well, before we get started, we have done an episode that's similar to your question, but not exactly. So episode 69, we did a show called Group Trip with a guest named Madeline Jawar, who runs Italy Beyond the Obvious. She was talking about how to plan a trip for a multi-generational group. So within that show, you'll find things that she recommends for kids in your age group, 7 to 10. But she'll also give you tips about how to travel with your parents and, you know, a baby and things like that. Yes. So it's not specifically going to Italy with a 7 and 10 year old and figuring out cool things to do that are interesting to younger people. But it has that as part of it. And Tiffany, being our resident expert... In all things Rome. Yes, we will today delve a little bit more deeply in traveling to Rome with kids. So where would we begin? Well, I mean, if I want to focus on what she asked, she specifically said she's not that into tourist sites and she wants to do stuff that maybe most tourists wouldn't do. So I can start there and I think maybe we'll get around to some of the more touristy things for other people who might be listening who do want to do tourist stuff with their kids. So see if I can hit both. But there are a few kind of unusual things 
that locals know about, but probably tourists don't, unless they're really good at researching, that might be fun for kids. One of those things is the cannon on the Janicolo Hill. Did you ever see that cannon go off? Of course. Well, I never saw it go off, but I heard it every day or every Tuesday or whatever it is. Every day, every day at noon, there's a big cannon on top of Janicolo Hill, which is the hill right behind Trastevere, right south of Trastevere. There's a cannon up there because that is the reason it's there is because that whole area is where most of the battles of the Risorgimento and the Roman Republic um, took place in the mid 1800s. So this cannon, of course, it fires a dud. You know, it doesn't fire like a live cannonball out of it. (laughs) (laughs) It would be way more noticeable if that were the case. Certain places not to park every day at noon. Yeah. But they do shoot it something. I don't know how it works, but they do like fire it up and make a big bang. And you can hear it all over Trastevere. If the wind is right, you can hear it inside the pinecone courtyard at the Vatican Museums. You know, I used to do tours there and I remember every so often I could hear the bang at 12 o'clock and I'd be like, oh, it's noon. Hmm. So that's fine. It's a, it's a kind of a fun, very Roman thing. You know, the old generation Romans, they set their watch by it, supposedly. Um, and kids love it. So just take your kids up to the Gianicolo Hill. You want to find the street called the Passeggiata del Gianicolo. If you go around noon, you'll see a little crowd gathering every day. People will gather around there. Just make sure that if your kids are scared of loud noises, that they know what's going to happen. <laughs> Some kids do get really startled by that. And it is quite loud. I don't think it's loud enough to damage anybody's ears. But, you know, for the littlest, it might not be something for like a two-year-old. But for older kids, I'm sure they would like that. There's also little known fact. There's a changing of the guard at the Quirinale Palace. Mm. It doesn't happen every day. It happens every Sunday, I believe. It's like a ceremonial changing of the guards. I don't, I don't know how. I mean, I guess they are, they are like you know the military police that do protect the president of Italy. So I guess it's a real thing. And in Italy, the guards they dress up. They don't look anything like the Buckingham Palace guards, but they do have kind of like feathery helmet cap type things. So it is kind of cool. It is, they, there are horses. I want to say there's even like a little band that plays music, like marching music. And I want to say that it happens at 3 p.m. every Sunday, but look it up because it could be 5 p.m. Anyways, it's in the afternoon on Sundays at the Quirinale. And that is up on the Quirinal Hill, um, the big white palace where the president of Italy, not to be confused with the prime minister, but the president of Italy lives. So those are two things that kind of popped into my head right away. They are touristy, but they're not strictly touristy. Local people will go and, and participate in these things as well. Yeah. As far as going into caves, you're the first person I've ever heard talk about something like that. I don't have any idea even what kind of caves they would be. My expertise is very limited to the city of Rome. If you wanted to do a side trip to Spain, (laughs) I went to these amazing underground caves outside of Nirha. And Nirha is an amazing little town anyway, that's well worth a visit. In fact, it's one of the places I visited where I was thinking the whole time I was there, how can I figure out how to live here? (laughs) You know, it's just... (laughs) super cute and it's right on the beach so it's all beachy and I think they call it the balcony of Europe because a lot of the town is perched way above this cliff where it just drops away so it looks like you're just 
over the water. Mm-hmm. But outside of that are these amazing caves that are not very far away from just downtown near Haas. So if you wanted to pop over to Spain as a part of this trip, you could look for that. Hey, that sounds good. That's the only caves I know about in Europe. So I'm just sharing that. There could be a cave like 10 minutes away from Rome and I wouldn't know about it. Now, while they are not strictly caves, Rome does have a lot of underground sites. So if you do have little adventurers who like the idea of going underground and exploring spooky, mystical places, Rome has a lot of that, most notably the the catacombs. There are several different catacomb sites all over the city. The most famous ones are probably the San Calisto catacombs, which are on the Appia Antica, the ancient Appian Way. And I can imagine kids getting really into that because, you know, this is where the Christians were buried in the first sort of centuries of um, the AD era. (laughs) And so the first few centuries of, let's say, Christianity. (laughs) And it's a little spooky down there. There's like paintings and there's lots of decorations and there are other parts of it that are very stark and dark and just spooky. So I think that a visit to the catacombs would be well worth it for that age group. Yes. The creepiest part about it for me when I went was that we had to follow a guide. And it was my understanding that we weren't going to have to be with a guide. And they said, well, we used to let people down here without a guide, but then two people got lost. <laughs> da, da. And I was like, oh, <laughs> imagine. So It'd be so terrifying. <laughs> well, I know that happened in Paris because there are catacombs in Paris. So it's a totally different thing. But there are so-called catacombs in Paris. But it's not like, like in Rome, like you've got the catacombs of San Calista over here and you've got the catacombs of so-and-so over there and they're... In Paris, it's like the entire city of Paris. There's like a whole underground city that's connected. That's friggin' scary. And some people got lost down there for like days or something. It was a really, really scary story. <laughs> um, actually made me, made me think of another site that kids would probably love, especially since, you know, a lot of kids around that age, they, they kind of love the macabre and the gruesome. And that is the crypt of the Capuchin monks. That's what I was totally going to say, definitely. Yeah, it's a great place. I mean, I'm into that place. So if you don't know about it, it's pretty famous now. It used to be one of those little hidden gems, but now it's everybody knows about it. But still, it doesn't mean it's not a good site to visit. So the Capuchin monks, they... I can't remember the year, so forgive me. <laughs> Katie sort of <laughs> threw this idea on me, read me this letter, and I didn't have a chance to <laughs> check my dates, but... Sometime in the past, in the far, far, far past, several hundred years ago, the order of the Capuchin monks in Rome decided that they would donate their bones to decorate the crypt of their church. Mm -hmm. So you go down into this place, and now I think they've actually made it into sort of an official museum. When I went there, the last time I went there was just sort of a, pay what you want annex of the of the church and not a whole separate museum now it's a museum but still i think it's pretty much the same you go down there it's a space that has probably like four or five maybe six different chapels i want to say or different rooms all connected and they're all decorated with human bones 
it's actually quite intricate and some people might say beautiful. I don't know. I find it a little bit too macabre to consider it beautiful. Yeah. I mean, we're talking chandeliers built out of them, Mm -hmm. gated archways, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you can imagine like a Baroque palace with the moldings that they would have, like the stucco moldings in all sorts of fancy decorations along the walls, they have those, but they're made out of like vertebrae, you know, like there's just hundreds and hundreds of vertebrae sort of snaking around to make these very baroque shapes and and curves and curly cues and things like that and yes they have chandeliers made out of leg bones and hip bones and it's a bit spooky yeah (laughs) not to overuse that word today but so i looked it up out of curiosity's sake and according to the internet it says that it contains the skeletal remains of 3,700 bodies believed to all be Capuchin friars. Mm -hmm. This is a great creepy sentence. When the monks arrived at the church in 1631, moving from their old monastery, they brought 300 cartloads of deceased friars with them. Oh my God. (laughs) They just brought them. Just brought them. It's nuts. And then it says, as the monks died during the lifetime of the crypt, the longest buried monk was exhumed to make room for the newly deceased who was buried without a coffin. And the newly reclaimed bones were added to the decorative motifs. Bodies typically spent 30 years decomposing in the soil before being exhumed. Well, yeah, they would have to, wouldn't they? I mean, you can't tear apart somebody's like recently dead body just to get at their bones, right? right. I mean, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be right. <laughs> so that's how it was done. And now it's art. But it's also meant to remind you of your mortality. Yes. At the very last room, in addition to all of the decoration, there is like a pile of bones. It's really the most eerie part. And there are some remade skeletons. And there's one who is basically a skeleton. I don't know if all the bones come from the same body or what, but there's a skeleton put together. And he's dressed in a friar's habit, cassock or whatever you call it. And he's got a scythe in his hand. I wonder if I'm imagining this. I believe he has a scythe in his hand. Are you are you thinking that this is something that you remember? I don't remember that. Okay, check me on that. That could just be my own writer's imagination, like embellishing. Yeah, this could just be your nightmare, really. But what it says, and I know this is true, it says on the floor in that very last room, what you are, we once were. What we are, you will become. Yeah, or you soon will be. It's something like... It's you soon very, will uh, be. Yeah, it means in Latin, but it's that's what it means. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, so that's one good place. Another place similar to that is Santa Maria della Morte e dell'Orazione, I want to say. St. Mary of the Death and the Oration, something like that. It isn't quite as bad. There's not nearly as many dead people, but there are. there's like a cabinet that you can open up and it's like full of skulls. And there's a huge skull on the outside of the building, like, you know, the archway, the pillars on the sides of the doorways of big churches. And they're always decorative and they've got like ancient Roman elements and things like that. This one has skulls that you don't even notice until you sort of look at them. And then there's um, a marble plaque on the front of the church with a picture of a, of a skeleton. And it says something similar, uh, which is me today, you tomorrow. Yes. That is the one church I must have tried to go into that church every single time I walked past it. And it was never open. It's never open. It's never open. I've been in it once. Um, and I actually have a picture to prove it. Me standing next to this cabinet of skulls. 
but I think it was open for a special occasion. It's, I don't know why, it's, it's almost never open. So those are some initial thoughts. I have another one, but I'm not going to remember the name of the place. What's the church that's sort of by the Colosseum where you can go down three levels? Oh, San Clemente. Yeah, San Clemente. Yeah, San Clemente is a great place for anyone, not just kids. It's an amazing, amazing site. Also now very, very famous. To, to basically put it briefly, it's an ancient Roman domus or house, like a wealthy person's house. Part of it had been used as um, a Mithraeum, a temple to the god Mithras. And then on top of that was built an early medieval church from like the 3rd or 4th century. I want to say the 3rd century AD. And then that was partially destroyed in a sack in the 11th century. And so another church was built on top of that. So it's three layers. It's fascinating. Like I can't say enough good things about San Clemente. It is, I think, one of the sites that like nobody should miss when they come to Rome. And the lowest level where the Mithraeum is, is is very interesting. But my favorite thing about that place is the lowest, lowest level is actually two separate buildings. One was a domus, as I said, and then the smaller one where the Mithraeum was, was actually an industrial building, I believe. But in between these two buildings, there's this narrow, narrow little, what we would think of as not even an alley, like the space between two buildings, but it was a street in ancient Rome. And it's probably, if you walked down it, if you're like a, you know, well-built man, your shoulders would probably brush both sides, both buildings. And that is how narrow some of the streets in Rome were. And it really gives you an idea what it was like, you know, in the nitty gritty of the city, what the city must have been like in ancient times. Hmm. I wonder if that's an explanation for why the Romans are so willing to cover the entire sidewalk and not let you pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just like built into the DNA from this, <laughs> from the really skinny sidewalks, and now they've just expanded to fill it. Not that they're fat, but that they are. They're just, just going to take up more space. And they just walk four abreast. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to like walk into the gutter to get around them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, so not that San Clemente is creepy, but passing out of the creepy realm in case the seven and ten year old are extremely sensitive to scary things. What's uh, maybe something pretty that kids would enjoy? Something pretty? Do kids care about pretty? Like I don't know. I feel like that kids don't really care about that. Maybe they don't. I don't know anything about kids. All I know about kids that age is when I was that age, and oh, it's been a while. I do remember that when I was fourteen, I went to Europe for the first time most of the time in France and we went to the Loire Valley and we went to see the the castles and I was I was such a teenager like I feel so bad now looking back and I remember my mom at one point got mad at me when we were standing in front of one of those huge palaces and she was like I'm never taking you anywhere ever again (laughs) and that was before smartphones so I wasn't even like standing there with my nose in a smartphone I don't know what I was doing (laughs) that she didn't think I was being appreciative of these beautiful palaces Mm -hmm. and I've become such a nerd since then you know when I go tourist tourist sites now I'm like I have to read every single line about every place and I have to go in every single room but at 14 (sighs) you know so I don't know how much seven to 10 year olds are really going to care about art and history. Yeah, that's a good point. Is there anything like a good arcade? Or <laughs> Here's what I'll say about art and history and, and stuff like that. For those of you who do want to go to the top tourist sites, and I would guess that that's most people, if you can afford it, try to get a tour guide 
who specializes in doing tours for kids. Because I think that that will make a huge difference in how kids, what they can take away from it, how much they'll pay attention. There are a couple of tour companies that specialize in tours for kids. I know one is called, I want to say Mamma Mia, and one is called Ciao Bambino. And I know that Context Travel, which is They do lots of different types of tours. I know that they do kids' tours for Rome. Now, I haven't taken any tours with any of those companies, so I'm not vouching for them. I don't know if they're good or bad. I've heard good things about Context, but I haven't heard really anything about the others. I just looked it up recently. But, I mean, do some research. I think that a good tour guide who is used to talking to kids can make things really come alive in a way that mom reading out of the guidebook is just not going to be the same thing. So I would say that would be a huge, valuable investment, not necessarily a hugely expensive investment. I think it might be really worth it to spend an extra couple hundred euros, at least on one or two of the sites that you go to, like the big sites, like the Colosseum or the Vatican Museums. Two other ideas that I have. One, I was actually doing a tour, a private tour for a family of five, I want to say there were three kids. And the youngest one was quite little. It was probably about four or five, and the others were were older. And each child had his own or her own digital camera. And they had them, like, strapped around their necks (laughs) so, like, they couldn't be dropped. And they probably were not the most expensive models. These days, I don't think that digital cameras are that expensive if you get the basic kind. Those kids were, like, taking pictures the entire time. And it was a way that their parents had found to really involve them in what they were seeing. I imagine that they got a lot more out of that trip because they wanted to take cool pictures. And I mean, maybe those pictures turned out to be horrible, but that's not the point, really. The point is that that they were involved and they were engaged in what they were doing and what they were seeing. So I think that's a great idea. And I plan to do that when I really was a bit older. And another idea that I have, and I actually did this when I used to give tours at the Vatican Museums. I had a treasure hunt that I came up with, with a list of several different things that kids had to look for. And I would pass them out if I had kids on my tour. You know, I would say, okay, like whoever can find the most keys, that was one of the things, because there's lots of keys in the Vatican Museums, like images of keys, because they represent the Pope, the power of the Popes. Or, you know, try to find a monkey in the painting, try to find a camel, try to find whatever. And I mean it's going to probably be impossible to do that if you don't know the place you're going. So I can't really say I'm suggesting that you come up with a treasure hunt because it might be impossible. But I don't know, maybe go online, see if you can find a resource like that. I should probably just post mine if I could find it. Yeah, maybe you should. If I could find it. I don't know know if I can find it in my files. It's been a long time. I did write an article, though, on all the animals that you can find in Rome because Rome is full of animal statues everywhere you look. So if I'll try to find that article, if I can find it, uh, if I have like a PDF version online, I will send it to you. You can post it on the website. But that's kind of a fun thing. Go on like a safari, like a stone safari in Rome. Yeah, I even found a horse hoof thing to scrape your shoes on as you go into the building. You know how people sometimes have those iron things that hang out so that you can scrape the mud yes. off your boots as you head in? Yes. So it's in the shape of a horse hoof. Oh, that's kind of cool. Kind of random. Totally random. Oh, bees. Bees is another thing. Like how many bees can you find in Rome? They're everywhere because one of the most important popes 
Urban VIII, his family symbol was a bumblebee. And so everything that he built, and he builds a lot of stuff, there's always bees on it. Hmm, I like that. It's kind of fun. Look for bees, look for keys. Bees, keys, and other things that rhyme with E's. Yeah, look for the baby elephant with the obelisk on its back. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's also in front of one of my favorite churches. If you find the baby elephant, then go into the church that's right next to it. Yeah, Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. I was just in there the other day. It's so pretty. It is. It's the prettiest one. It's impossible to say. Splitting hair is there, but I think it's one of the prettiest ones. It's under restoration right now. I went in there, I was like, what's going on in here? It was like pitch black and scaffolding everywhere. Oh, that's too bad. That happens to every church sooner or later. Well, and of course, if you're going to be traveling with kids, you got to eat pizza. So you got to go to Dar at least once. It's the best. It is really good. But you know what? There's another place that I, I really love. But it's in Monteverde, so it's a little bit harder to get to. Okay. Um, but it's called La Gata Mangiona. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. So, so good. What about the uh, pharmacy museum? Have you ever done that? Are you talking about the one in Trastevere? Yeah. You know, I've never been there. And the funny thing is, my when Aurelio was first born, his pediatrician was in that building. And I always be like, I got to go to the pharmacy museum. And I never went. Uh, what is it like? I don't know. Oh, you never went either. There's, okay, to explain what we're talking about, there is a pharmacy in the, the square called Santa Maria de la Scala. Santa Maria de la Scala. It's a little tiny piazza in Trastevere, not far from Santa Maria in Trastevere. And it's this little pharmacy. And you go in, and the pharmacy itself is quite beautiful. And you can tell that it's very old. But that's actually the modern part. And there's an ancient, not ancient, but a very, very old part that was run by the monks or the friars of that church, Santa Maria de la Scala, who were like the barefoot friars or some, some, their name was something like the barefoot friars of something or other. They rejected a Caravaggio painting, FYI. What? Just a little nugget. Yeah. They rejected the painting that is now in the Louvre, The Death of the Virgin. Thanks to Giovanni Baglione. I mean, you must have read about this when you read that biography on mm-hmm. Caravaggio. Giovanni Baglione, I'm totally going off subject, sorry. Giovanni Baglione, Caravaggio's big like rival and the guy who hated his guts, like, convinced these barefoot friars of something or other at Santa Maria della Scala to reject the painting. This huge, it was supposed to be like the altarpiece of the death of the Virgin because apparently Caravaggio had used the body of a dead prostitute that had been fished out of the Tiber as the model for the dead Virgin Mary. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, does sound about, sounds like him. Yeah. So they rejected it and it's now in the Louvre. Yeah, it's a great painting. I know, it's a shame. I mean, Trastevere could have had a, a Caravaggio of its very own. It's quite sad. But anyway, those friars, as silly as they were about art, they apparently were really good apothecaries. And they had this little apothecary shop in the, I want to say the 1500s, 1600s, all during that period. And they were official apothecaries of the Vatican. And you can visit their pharmacy, but I've never done it. So I can't tell you what it's like, but that might be something cool. Yeah. Maybe that's something we should do while I'm there. Yeah. We'll both go. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought, you know, maybe a pharmacy would be interesting to seven and 10 year olds. I don't know. I don't know. You can go see English language movies too while you're there in case they need a break from all the history and art. Oh, hey, here's another idea. There's a little amusement park called Luneur. It's actually the oldest amusement park in Italy. 
It was completely refurbished. It was closed for about 30 years. It was completely refurbished. No, it wasn't closed for 30 years. What am I saying? It was closed for maybe like a decade or a decade and a half. It was refurbished and now it's been reopened and it's a really great amusement park for little kids. So like 10 and under really. It's not something that your 15 year old is going to enjoy because there's no like super, super scary rides. It's a little bit tame, but it's perfect for little little kids, even as young as like two. And there's, of course, different height requirements, different rides. You know, you do have to be a bit bigger. But that is something that, you know, if your kids are like really needing a break (laughs) from the museums and the history, Lunero is really fun. I really enjoyed it. And it's in the Eur district. There's also a, a planetarium in that same neighborhood. I've been there once very briefly, but I can't really, it's been a long time. So I don't know how great it is. There's also a children's museum called Explora. This is also something that's really for little kids. I would say probably even eight and under is the best age group. And I think kids as young as two, one and a half, two, can have a good time there. I've taken Aurelio there and he loved it. So Explora is in the Flaminio district, not that far from Piazza del Popolo. And I want to say, I have, this is something else that I've never done. I feel like it's still around. Check it out because it could be that it's not, it's no longer running. But there is something called a time elevator. Have you heard about this? I've done it. Oh, you've done it. Okay. Then you're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to be it. the one to tell, tell us what it, what it is, uh, what it entails. Oh my gosh. If I can even remember. It was something that I did very early on when I got to Rome back in 2013 and it basically is a indoor movable platform that you sit on that moves you and sort of flies you around and shows you different parts of Rome as it it was. Like a virtual reality almost? Yeah, but a little less sophisticated. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I wouldn't say it was the most amazing thing I've ever been to, but it was fun sort of just a fun afternoon thing. I remember it being a little bit expensive, slightly cheesy, but granted, we were two adults. So maybe for a kid, it might be more fun. Yeah, for seven and 10 years old, it'd be really fun. So it's sort of like looking at the Colosseum as it was and things like that. And it it teaches you a lot of little elements of Roman history, but it's also kind of flopping you around at the same time. So that makes it fun. It's like a movable IMAX. I got it, yeah. I just thought of another thing while you were telling me that this is not specifically for kids, but I think kids might really enjoy it, especially, you know, to the older end of the seven to 10 age group and beyond. It's a place called Palazzo Valentini. Have you heard of this? Mm -mm. So Palazzo Valentini is a palace in Rome, like many other. It's it's in public hands now. It's I want to say it's like the seat of the province of Rome or something like that. So it's got probably mainly office buildings in it. But they did some excavations underground and they've discovered that it was built on top of a Roman domus or a house. This is one of the things I did probably in my first couple of years in Rome and I've never been able to get it out of my head and I always have wanted to go back and I never have. In the summer that my son was born, my mom and her husband were in Rome and they went to it. I was like 
racking my brains to come up with things that they hadn't done yet because my mom and my stepfather have been to Rome so many times that <laughs> I always have to like think, okay, what is, is there anything you haven't done? So they went and they were just blown away. So basically what it is, is the ruins of this ancient domestic building or like a, a place where people lived. It has fragments of mosaics and fragments of frescoes on the walls and things like that and ancient bricks and stones. But what's cool about it is that they use lasers to recreate the missing parts of the floor. So like, let's say there's like a third of the floor, you can see the mosaics, but you can't, you know, you only see fragments. They fill in the rest and they show you what the entire floor would have looked like. Or they show, you know, there's like a little bit of frescoes on the wall. They show you what all of the frescoes would have looked like. And they even, if I remember, like project like people like walking around. So it makes it almost look like my greatest desire would be to time travel my number one thing that I want to do that I'll probably never get to do. Probably I say not. probably. Yeah. I say probably because you never know. Somebody <laughs> could invent it, hopefully before I die. But it's really like one of those things, you know, like this is the closest I've ever come to time traveling, you know. There's a lot of those in Rome. Yeah, I've done it. Oh, you've been there. I've been there. And it is more sophisticated than the time elevator. Well, yeah. I mean, I would hope so. It's actually an ancient site as opposed to like just a screen. Yeah. I mean, that said, I think that younger kids would enjoy the time elevator a lot more. Possibly. Yeah. I think so. Definitely. There's also that big pile of um, dishes. Dishes? Is that where the big pile of dishes is? Where people, instead of washing their dishes, just like threw them in against a wall and they collected in this hole? I think you're thinking of Testaccio, Monte di Testaccio. This area of Rome, sort of on the east side of the city, across the river from Trastevere. I want to say that the ships would arrive in Rome carrying the jugs of olive oil that they were selling. And for some reason, they would sell the olive oil, and then, but not the jug, and they would just throw them in this pile. I can't remember the exact history of it, but there's a pile of broken shards of ancient pottery that they basically then like covered over and in grass it, yeah and now it's <laughs> like, like a grassy hill <laughs> yeah but there are some restaurants and probably other sites as well that are near there that kind of excavated down and they have like a window so you can see all of these shards through the window which is i mean i don't know i don't know if that would be that interesting it's just kind of a small thing well we give you a lot of tips yeah yeah, you can definitely fill a whole week. I've been writing them down. So in the show notes, I will list them in case you're out jogging and you don't have a pen. <laughs> I'll list them. Also there, I will put a link to our ticket link. for If you're in Seattle, Tiffany and Katie are doing a live show of The Bittersweet Life on March 16th. It's a Friday. Yay! If you are a fan of this show and you are in Seattle and you don't show up, what, what are you doing? Yeah. So now you can buy... The tickets and we would love to meet everybody that's around Seattle if we haven't met you already. I know many of you already. FYI tickets are only five bucks so you really don't have an excuse. Tickets are only five dollars yeah. I know so cheap put on by Town Hall Seattle and I'll put a link there so you can buy your tickets now. You don't want to have it sell out. Don't delay. No, that would be that would be a disaster. And it could happen. It could really happen. It, it could happen with the amount of relatives you'll have streaming into town for it. <laughs> Tiffany doesn't come to the United States all that often. So it's a big to do. And of course, we're celebrating the release of her book, Midnight in the Piazza, which you can pre-order on Amazon, I hear. Mm -hmm. We're very close to its release right now. Yeah, it's going to be released on 6 March. 
or I should say March 6th, sorry, I'm used to like doing the European way. It's going to be released on March 6th. And hey, there's a lot of listeners in Europe. So that's true. Six March makes a lot of sense. That's true. Okay. Either way, choose whichever you prefer. It's a middle grade book. So it's going to be for your eight to 12 year old age group. But I think that adults might enjoy it too, or older kids as well. And it takes place in Rome. So it's super fun to read. As an adult, you could think of it as a relaxing romp through Rome. Yeah, I think it's good for all readers, but they have to market it to somebody. It's available on Amazon, but it's also on the Amazon Italian site. It's also on the Amazon UK site. It's on the Amazon Germany site. Those are three that I know it's on because I've checked myself. It might be on other European sites as well. It's only available in English right now, though, because the foreign rights have not sold. So it's only available in the English language. But if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you speak English. Yes. And if you're in Seattle, you can come pick up a copy and have Tiffany sign it in person March 16th. Yay! Come to that show. Uh, before we go, I just want to thank our intern, Estrella Gomez, for all the great work. She's at lacasablaga.com. Definitely check her out. She's always doing some interesting things. And check us out on social media. Just search for The Bittersweet Life podcast. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks to Stackery for supporting this program. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the United States. With Stackery, even though you live abroad, you can shop at your favorite U.S. retailers at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your package, and a tax-free U.S. mailing address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, you can save 10% off your first shipment. Just visit stackery.com and use the coupon code MANJA. That's M-A-N-G-I-A. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.